0: Welcome to Wood Talk, for Woodworkers by Woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who take
1: big pieces of wood and make them smaller Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's episode number 207 for December 1st, 2014. On today's show, we're talking about spraying dye. Drawers or a carcass first, and picking the good stuff at the lumberyard. All that and more coming up. But first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. Uh, we're happy to have Audible.com with us today for a free audiobook of your choice. Go to AudiblePodcast.com/woodtalk. And you know what? Sometimes tools stand apart best the most? Wait, the Festus. <laughs> Do you think Festool is going to mind that every time we read their ad, it gets screwed up? <laughs> I mean, it, it, yes. <laughs> it really causes us to talk about it more. So maybe all in all, it's a good thing. <laughs>
2: there we go. Well, let's drag this out just a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah. So some tools stand apart the most when they're working all together. Explore a full system designed to deliver more precise results at FestoolUSA.com. You know, in my defense, I'm just saying uh, I'm actually recording in a very different location than I normally do, which is I'm out of the basement. (laughs) And so I think I just got distracted literally because a squirrel like ran past squirrel.
1: Yeah. And it's a little bit earlier than normal. So maybe that's uh,
3: factoring into. Yeah. Uh, And I saw the picture that you and your wife posted on Facebook earlier today, Matt, from the shower. So I know why you're distracted. Yeah. What's up with that? Jeez, all right.
2: I saw that yeah, in my that was feed. on her account, too. So uh, just for the record, I don't share personal moments. She does.
1: <laughs> well done. Well done. All right. And we'd also like to thank Tim Holliner, who helped us out with a donation. And you can, too, at woodtalkshow.com. Look for those donation links and sign up for a small recurring donation or a one-time donation to help this, uh, support the show, which is always appreciated. Uh, let's jump into what's on the bench. I'll go first, guys. Um, I am doing a little design work. And haven't, yeah, you know, I've kind of been slacking off the last few weeks in the what's on the bench section. You should probably uh, remember that. I haven't done very much. And I'm getting back into it, getting ready for the January guild build. And that is another project that I'm designing with uh, that old client of mine, uh, an old favorite, Ed and uh, just love this guy's taste in furniture. And you know the funny thing is I call him a client now, but in reality I don't even make any money from him with these (laughs) because it it really feels like double dipping especially if I do it in in the guild. So um, it's one of those things where I basically have him pay for materials and and then I just film everything and document it all and have a blast with it because he's just one of those guys who allows me to use the good stuff. He doesn't mind paying for Babinga and Wenge and it's things that are a little bit harder for most of us to justify buying. Uh, so uh, always looking forward to that. And it's a chest of drawers and a matching nightstand. So the, the issue I'm running into, and this is kind of always the issue with this with this gentleman because he finds stuff online or in other stores where he goes, here's a starting point. Uh, we can take it very far away from this, but here's where I want to start. So a lot of times, the things he's linking to are particle board, plywood, you know, fairly inexpensive materials that are just sold as nice designer furniture. So they they do things, that aren't as doable in solid wood because he doesn't want crap. That's why he's coming to me. So he, he wants good solid wood construction. So it's, it's, I feel like a little bit like a translator going from, you know, crate and barrel, uh, you know, particle board and trying to translate that design into something that's going to work in real wood with real wood joinery. It, it's So it's something that I do all the time with him and I, I, I hate it and I love it at the same time. It's a challenge. But man, when you've got a veneered sheet good, you know, wood movement rules are you know, fly out the window. You don't have to worry about it. And suddenly you go, well, I'm going to do that in solid wood. And now the whole game changes.
2: You know, that's I'm really glad you say something like that because I've had so many people approach me about, hey, will you build this project for me? Because I remember early on, I was definitely, and I know Samantha used to push this a lot too, was like, if you look at anything in any those catalogs, he can build it. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> I can do what? Like, like when they get it delivered and I can assemble it? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. But there were plenty of times when somebody would point out a piece that there would be something really unique about it. And I, I would have that moment where I'm like, if I make this out of solid wood, I have no clue how I'll have that actually work and then not have you or potentially you coming back and going, What the hell did you do and why did I pay you for that?
1: <laughs> yeah, why is this breaking? Yeah. Right. Well, a lot of times the parts on these things are maybe an inch and a half thick, you know. So if you get that real good, modern, clean look, it's an inch and a half thick, and because it's veneer, you don't really see any sort of joinery there. And you're trying to figure out what what are they expecting from me with this? Do they want this clean look? Because I can replicate that, but it's going to be a little bit more work. I mean, think about it. Do you put two pieces of plywood together, get that inch and a half thickness, and, and line it with veneer, and then put a little solid wood trim? I mean, is that the look they're going for? So I think this is probably a challenge a lot of custom woodworkers have to face. It's something I only have to do maybe once a year. Um, but it, like I said, it's fun, challenging, and a little bit annoying at the same time because we we can't necessarily... You know, we can't play by the same rule book uh, that that they do in in sort of a mass furniture situation like that.
2: Um, you know, but- one thing that always cracked me up was like uh, somebody would show like a picture of the like the top itself, and they're like, mm-hmm. "Well, I want it to look like this." And then if I used solid wood, there'd be the end grain if I didn't like put a breadboard or something like that on there. And it was so funny because they're like, "I just don't really like the way that this color turned out, or what what what's up, what kind of grain is that? And like yeah. that that's end grain." No, that doesn't look like the thing in the catalog. I'm like, yeah, that's because that was near wrapped.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the good thing about this guy though is that I've been working with him long enough that he knows, he understands that. So he starts with these things and says, all right, here's where I'm headed. Here's where my brain is. Now what's possible? And he'll, he'll flex with his, you know, what he's looking for based on what reality dictates and what I can do as, as a furniture builder. Um, And he has a little bit, you know, has a decent amount of faith in me that, that I'm going to try to get him exactly what he wants visually, but do it in a way that respects the wood materials we're working with. So That's
3: yeah, really I awesome. had this
1: conversation
3: the other day with a, a client at the lumber yard and he the same type of thing is he was trying to. Well, to put it bluntly, he was trying to knock off somebody else's product. Mm -hmm. He's like, I'm pretty sure that I can produce that. And it was um, obviously made with sheet goods and it was made with like really, uh, I don't know, far out exotic sheet goods. So we'll just, for sake of conversation, like African blackwood plywood. Mm -hmm. Well, African blackwood plywood is possible. You know, anybody can lay up a custom sheet of plywood, but they don't do it by the sheet. They do it by the yeah. truckload. You need a batch. <laughs> you know, and, and here's a company, I don't remember who it was, but, you know, you said Creighton and Bear earlier. Well, I mean, they're buying, you know, truckloads and truckloads of this veneered plywood that's probably been laid up specifically for them by the manufacturer. And then you come down to trying to make one or two or a hundred of them. And it's like, well, no, you you can't really go out and buy bubinga plywood, right? right. <laughs> you know, there are companies that will make it for you, but you need to place an order of about three thousand sheets in order for them, in order for that even to make it worthwhile. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's it's uh, and people don't don't get that, you know, and and it blows me away because it's like, well, you're manufacturing furniture, why don't you get that? You know, right. don't you understand that it would cost more to make? you know, one of these than it would to make 300 of them. Sure,
1: sure. Well, fortunately, if, you know, part of the, uh, the custom furniture thing is educating your, your clients to make sure they understand what you're doing and why it costs so much, why it costs more than something you might see in a store. But if they understand and appreciate it and you educate them, it actually can become kind of a fun and, and interesting, uh, fun, challenging process at the same time.
3: I'm just glad that I don't make furniture for a living.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've I, I never
3: can say I've done it for a living. I've certainly made it for money and still do for money. But if I had to like pay my mortgage off of it, um, my, my wife and I were out this weekend and went to this little consignment shop because my sister-in-law just bought a new house. So we were going to get her some furniture and she's just really into kind of the repurpose thing. What is like the most popular style out there now? Reclaiming stuff and slapping a coat of paint on it and mm-hmm. calling it shabby chic or whatever. Right. Um, and this shop is just full of like probably 1940s, 1950s furniture that had been refurbished. It was like 30 bucks for a dressing table, $20 <laughs> for like an ottoman. Wow. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, I flipped over the ottoman and you could see underneath it's made out of mahogany it's, it's like real mahogany nice. and, you know, cabriole legs and yeah, it's a little rickety. And, you know, somebody threw some screws into the corner joints to make it not be rickety. And it's, it's so, you know, was it put together that really well? I, I don't know, but the fact that this, what is really super popular right now can be had at this little mom and pop consignment shop for $30. Wow. How, how are you supposed to compete with that? Because you can't, you know, you could say, well, my stuff is made to a higher quality, blah, blah, blah. Most people will look at that and go, well, that's made out of solid wood. You know, they don't understand. Nuances
1: and design and all that. And I just don't know that I have the patience to educate like that anymore. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. It's, you know, one of the reasons why I went away from that and into the educational side of things, just because it's, it is really difficult. I had a hard time uh, convincing people why things cost what they do. And it all comes down to making compromises so that you get the price down. But at the same time, you're compromising what you know to be the best material or the best joinery. And very rarely when, when I was, you know, trying to hack it as a, you know, As a custom furniture maker, very rarely would I be able to build to the best of my abilities with the best materials I know to use. It was always something down from that in order to cut costs. And if I didn't do that, I just wouldn't make any money from the job and it wasn't worth doing. You know, it's def- I agree. It's definitely a tough way to go. So I have a lot of respect for people who, yeah. who find Bless their niche all, in the market. You're,
3: you're much better people
1: than me. Totally. <laughs> yeah.
2: All right, Matt, what about you? Well, the big thing for me is I still am kind of in that mode that you've been in for the past several episodes. <laughs>
1: Lazy <But> mode. <laughs> this, yeah, pretty
2: much. That's exactly it. I'm like, uh, cushion meat butt, butt meat cushion. Mm-hmm. You two are going to get along great this weekend. <laughs> uh, but this weekend, what I did was because there we were so many great sales going on with you know Black Friday and now Cyber Monday as we're recording this, all these things, I ended up, sitting down and saying, you know what, I really, I hate to say it, but that wood-turning bug is starting to really kick in, and I was having a lot of fun with it, but I want to learn a little bit more, maybe get a little bit more inspiration, move something beyond, you know, the something as simple as, like, the the razor that I just did, or maybe even pens, although those are great places to start when you're learning these types of things, Mm -hmm. just to get a feel for it and how to hold the tools and everything else. So what I ended up doing was I already have a couple of DVDs on, uh, turning basics, and I thought, let me go ahead and expand a little bit. I mean, I was definitely inspired by something like the New Yankee Workshops. There has to be some stuff out there uh, for turning, and over at Popular Woodworking, they have. Did you know they have a, uh, a whole website now? Popular Woodworking, the Wood Turning area, Popular Wood Turning, with uh, Tim Yoder. Yep. Mm-hmm. it's yeah, good I stuff did. too. Well I, I didn't even didn't even pay attention to it because I was so afraid of wood turning. So I <laughs> discovered that and this weekend i ended up uh purchasing like season 1 of uh, tim yoder's show and i sat down and and watched probably about half of it simply because of the fact that um then other stuff came on tv and i'm like oh oh what's that <laughs> <laughs> so uh but it's it's really great cuz it's it's one of those things that okay now i've been watching enough videos on kind of the fundamentals which tool to use how to use this although it's funny how Two two wood turners may not agree on the same exact thing, especially when it comes to bevels and everything else. Uh, so it's just neat to see some projects and then go, okay, I think I could do this. Let's go ahead and, and maybe make some plans for it. So I don't know when they're going to show up in episodes, what's going to show up as a, a possible project, but it's just it's really fun seeing something like this. It's completely different from anything else I've ever watched. So, I, again, I hate to say that I've taken that... That whole turning bug is starting to bite me, but it, yeah, I'm there. It's horrible. So your new
1: podcast, As as the Mat Turns? Pretty much, yes.
2: <laughs> awesome, man. Well, you know what? There's not, to the face.
1: there's not enough turning videos out there in podcast form, you know, in like regular show form. There's a couple of them, but I think uh, it's it's time, you know? Let's do more turning.
2: Yeah, and the thing is, I have, I mean, I have a midi lathe, so I'm kind of limited on the size that I can do, but at the same time, that's actually kind of a, a plus because of the fact that I think a lot of people, this is how they get started with it mm-hmm. versus getting the full on, like there's a, the second episode in this of season one with Tim Yoder has a thing where he is like getting like the monster size lathe. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to skip past this one because I am not there yet. But <laughs> the way it's continuing, I probably will be. I'm like, car schmar, that can stay out in the driveway, which I never thought I would ever say that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, I don't know about you, but like I, I worked on the mini lathe for, Many, 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 many years. Police Academy reference. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, it I never had the capacity issue. I bought a, a bed extension for it for length. I was just going to
2: say, yeah, those are easily, they're readily available, easy to attach. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: And so then it was like, well, you know, I don't have that much swing over the bed. And then I started thinking, man, if I got something thicker than this, it would scare me to death to chuck <laughs> right. that up and spin it. And and I've, I've turned some larger scale things on my treadle lathe, and my pole lathe now, because I've got a, like a 10 inch swing. So you could put a 20 inch diameter thing on there. I've never gone that far, but I put like a 12 inch diameter, uh, piece on my pole lathe now again we're talking like 80 rpms at this point and it still freaked me out a little bit <laughs> right. the size just the sheer mass of that block spinning and in that case spinning forward three turns and back three turns it was just it freaked me out i couldn't imagine you know chucking it up at 900 rpms or you know, whatever the acceptable speed is for that diameter I never read that part of the manual. (laughs) Skip that part. RPOs. what are
2: you talking about?
3: (laughs) The only reason I say this, because I've had lots of people say, like, well, like you just said, Matt, well, I only have a MIDI lathe. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I suppose if the turning bug, like, takes a hold of you, and that's what you, if you're turning stuff, and that's the entire project, but for, like, the furniture maker into turning I don't see there's really any need to go any bigger. I think right. that
1: it's deceiving when you look at a mini midi lathe. They look really small, but people aren't taking into account the fact that it's two times the distance, right. um, you know, from the chuck to the, Cause it's, to the it's bed. What, six inch swing. I think on a midi lathe, most of them. Sounds about right, Yeah. Yeah. yeah and so that's a full 12 inch diameter piece, which I've, you know, as much I've done a few bowls here and there, but they were never they were always 10 or less. Yeah,
3: right. exactly. So, but, you know, there, there's something to be said about the, the mass and the lack of vibration and all that stuff in a really big lathe. Oh, but, sure, sure. You know, I've never, never had a problem. And we're talking at least five or six years that I turned a lot of stuff on that midi lathe. So right. I, I think you're fine. I think you're good to go. You're
2: fine. Yeah, that's that's not the support I was looking for. I was looking oh. for more like that. No, <laughs> stick to the flat stuff. Don't worry about that. You're Okay. <laughs>
1: Don't go he into the world passes. around, come
2: back, Matt, come back.
3: <laughs> you know, there, there are a lot of guys out there I know who are, who are like, well, I don't have a lay or I'm not going to go down that route. Like kind of what you've been saying for the last, you
2: know, whatever, hundred shows. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I don't want to open that Pandora box. 207. So, uh, 200. <laughs> yeah.
3: But you think about the number of furniture pieces that you can do when you're comfortable working at the lathe and kind of what that opens up for your design. Um, I think it's awesome. I, I try to incorporate the lathe as much as I can it's
1: it's cool man. quite honestly these days that's all I do it's a it's another tool that helps me build furniture and I very rarely yeah. build something independently just on a lathe but if I need to it's there because I've done enough furniture parts and spindles and things like that that I've got the ability to do it um, yeah but the mood to just kind of you know turn a bowl doesn't strike me very often so I just kind right. of you know, just for furniture.
3: But right. you know something as simple as I—it's funny because you were talking about Cyber Monday sales, and I've got two wood turning supply house catalogs sitting on my desk that showed up today with crazy, crazy deals. Act now! <laughs> and uh, one of the things—I don't know—I think it's craft supplies, uh, wood turner's catalog. They've started selling hardware kits hmm. like door knob and little drop pulls and things like that. I was like, that's cool, you know. So all you do is turn like the knob, and you you know, add in some of the the metallic parts or those little drop pull things. It's like that would be a really cool way to kind of customize, add a little bit of hardware because I personally like hardware. I've made drawer pulls and things out of wood, but I kind of like that, that bling, the little jewelry that goes on top of my furniture. Mm-hmm. But to add like, you know, your little tiny piece of crazy exotic jungle wood in there, you know, that's left over from something else adds a real kind of signature touch. So something as simple as that in your furniture that you now can do with a lathe all the way up to, you know, turning a central column for a pedestal table out of it.
1: Cool. That's cool. Nice.
2: Good yeah, stuff. I, I definitely been looking at some stuff. I'm like, the, the catalogs come in and I'm like, what do you want for Christmas or your birthday? I'm like, um I don't know what these are, but I think I want them. So <laughs> let's just go ahead and do those. But anyways, that's what's been going on with me. Now, Shannon, I see you are Making plans for an unplanned project, I don't quite – confused. I'm confused. It's, it's happening.
3: And it's – um. we talked – I think it was even last episode. We talked about making – you make gifts for, for Christmas. Like mm-hmm. not make
1: – yeah. <laughs> I can't remember exactly what it <laughs> yeah, was. Not, not holiday themed but an actual gift for right. someone for the holidays. You make an actual gift. And, right. I,
3: and I just thought, you know, yes, I do. But I haven't made like a serious like real gift in a while. And, um, we need a new table. We, around here, we call it the console table. It's kind of like a sofa table, Mm -hmm. you know, tall and thin, I guess meant to go behind a sofa, but it goes against the main entry wall in our house. We've had it forever. I think we bought it at Target, um, right out of college and it's fine. It's just, it doesn't, now that I've made some other pieces into and put them into the, the main room, it doesn't fit. And my wife keeps saying, well, you know, sure it would be nice to get a new table like that. Well, I have quite a bit of 12 quarter cherry left over for when I made this pencil post bed. And I just thought, you know what? Let's do this. <laughs> so nice. I started, uh, what, middle of last week. I'm um, going to do kind of a contemporary cabrio leg. Um, if you remember way back, um, Rob Boas did a contemporary like writing desk. And he made a cabrio leg out of it. It, Imagine an S curve without all like the carving and rounding over and all that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just going to be a a very kind of straight line because that room in the house is is not heavily stylized. It's a little bit more contemporary. And um, I'm going to get done what I get done. If I get done enough that I can have time to add, you know, some string inlay to the top. I'm going to do it Mm -hmm. if I have time to maybe I've got some cool veneer for the drawer fronts that I might do. But if I don't, then they'll just be solid wood (laughs) cherry. Um, But the goal is just to have it done and actually finished, not sticky or tacky um, by Christmas day. So which really, you know, it shouldn't be that hard. I mean, what is that like three and a half weeks away? Um, But you never know. (laughs) In reality,
1: (laughs) it's a whole different story.
3: I've got four legs that are milled up, and one well, one of them is now sawn into a cabrio leg. Um, but I figure, you know, the aprons, the top, all that stuff. Um, I'm definitely going to go hybrid on that. You know, I'm not going to try to impress anybody by milling up a, a, a what twenty inch wide and fifty inch long tabletop slacker by hand. I got a twenty inch <laughs> planer now, baby, so it's going through <laughs> the planer. But it, I'm not. I'm not filming it. I've taken a couple of photographs here and there. There'll probably be a blog post on it later, but you know, I, I'm just plowing through this. Just want to get it done. And mm-hmm. it's fun.
1: Let cool, me tell man. you,
3: it's just fun.
1: I miss I, those I, days of just like, I, all right, I'm going to go and build something. And when it's done, it's done. And I don't have to worry about filming it or documenting it. Uh, there's a certain freedom with that. Yeah,
2: well, and just talking about that the other day, Samantha and I work, she's like, why aren't you doing this fast enough? I'm like, Uh, do you see the cameras? And then they got to be over here and I got to do this and I got to come in and edit to make sure I captured it just the right way because I can no longer do it without the audience. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and
3: not to give the wrong impression, you know, I don't mind filming. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons I've been podcasting or making videos as long as I have is because I actually do enjoy that. That's another hobby of mine, you know, the video editing and, and, you know, framing up the shot and all that fun stuff. I do enjoy that. But, um, the freedom to truly build on the fly, because I feel like when I do stuff on the blog now, I need to do a sketchup model and I need to have yeah, like a know, parts list and I need to have references. Yep. And that's so not how I build. I'm like back of the napkin, go down to the shop and start cutting wood type of yeah, woodworker. Yeah. And maybe that's reflected in the quality of some of my projects. But <laughs> it's just it, it's nice to kind of let it fly, you know, and see what comes out the other end.
1: Yeah, well, and you have to play it a little safer too when you're expecting people to follow along with you. You can't necessarily go down a certain path just to hit a dead end and then go back and do it over. You have to kind of play it a little safer, which I think it can be limiting, but this is all inside baseball crap. Uh, You know, I think that's why sometimes you recommend like, hey, you know what? If you want to document your stuff on a blog and just keep it at a a fun recreational level, that's cool, but just keep in mind if you do get into truly going into this blogging, podcasting thing, what, what that actually means to your building schedule Uh, it definitely does change the uh, just the way you, you have to do things
2: yeah. You know, just the, the whole Christmas building thing, not so much the podcasting thing, just the whole Christmas building, gift giving building kind of a thing. At this point in the game, um, I'm just giving out gift certificates.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all
2: right, let's
3: move
1: into what's new. 10 free hugs from Matt Vanderlist. Ooh. <laughs> Beard rub. I'll take one of those. Uh, <laughs> all right, in the what's new section, we've got a couple things for you. The first one I put in here, this is just a, a little announcement for what happened over the weekend. thought it was kind of funny. Uh, this was Black Friday and Cyber Monday and all that stuff where people go out and act like nuts to get good deals. And the Bessie clamp sale is kind of like this yearly debacle that is fun <laughs> to watch. And uh, Rockler had some good prices, Woodcraft, and everything's like 50% off on select clamps. So people went nuts. It was a feeding frenzy for a period of time. Both Woodcraft and Rockler websites were either down or the checkout process was just broken. No. <laughs> and they were they were overselling before they can actually get rid of the listing, they were still selling clamps. So there Oops. are people now who are finding out that their order may not actually be fulfilled because they actually placed the order well after stock ran out. Oh, ouch. Yeah, it, oh. it was nuts. And- uh, I said Bessie, didn't I? I meant yeah. uh, jet. I, it's the Bessie style is what's always they in yeah. Those head. red looking things. They're all red. They all clamp. <laughs> that I makes squeezy. Got, I got a note here from from the call <laughs> Jet, not Bessie. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just kind of you know flying off the cuff here. But anyway, so jet clamps. Uh, so both of these sites are having problems, and we just found out today that Acme Tools still has some. And I think part of the reason is their checkout process doesn't let you know that it's fifty percent off until you add that clamp to your cart. So I don't think that they were selling as many as everybody else. So today sort of a post feeding frenzy happened as everybody flocked to Acme to, to go oh get gosh. Uh, the 24 and 40 inch clamps that are on sale for half price. Uh, so just kind of funny. Uh, the bottom line is if you have clamps if you have those jet uh, parallel clamps and you put them on sale for 50% off, you better make sure your servers are ready to handle that because right. woodworkers are not joking around with those parallel clamps.
3: <laughs> oh, Yeah, okay. I think Acme Tools went and bought a bunch of clamps from Rockler and that's go. why they have them
1: now. Oh, smart. Yeah, and now they're only 40% off so they're getting a little markup on them. Well,
3: that that <laughs> kit, I bought that kit long, long time ago. Um, actually, I think some some Italian guy recommended it
1: Hey-o. Like,
3: six years yeah. ago or
1: something like that. Careful Have you those. ever used that little cross piece? That little like no. dome looking thing? No. You know what those are? Those are just funny things to put in the back of the shop so people go, oh, what's that? S- seriously, like I saw that and I thought, you know, do I need any
3: clamps? And now no, I don't need any clamps. And that's actually what told me, like turned me off because it's like, I
1: don't want any more of those things. Yeah, the thing is though, I don't need them. with this particular sale, you can get the kit but you can actually go and at the time when they were available, you could buy those same four clamps without the accessories and actually save a few bucks. Um, a lot of times the kit winds up costing less than the individual clamp, so you just get the kit. Um but yeah, I mean, you know what I'm curious. Does anybody give us some kickback on this. If anybody actually uses those accessories, I know they can help and they do help balance the clamps. and if you're doing a nice frame glue up or something like that, it can be helpful. But yeah, I have the little dog hole exactly like the little screw in dog on the back too. I've never used that either. <laughs> yeah, and that's neat, but I actually, in just sort of practical application, have never, never used those. Uh anyway, so that that was the big uh 2014 feeding frenzy for Jet Clamps. So if you miss, if missed it, sorry, but uh some people got some really good deals.
2: Man, cuz I, I I made some affiliate sales thanks to some people that came by the website and mm-hmm. one of them was at Woodcraft. Now I'm starting to worry a little bit that that's not going to go through and I'm, I'm not going to get my money and they're not going to get their clamps. I feel yeah, bad for them, but that may that, very well it, happen. You never know. Well, hmm.
3: you know, I can't speak for Mark. Um but I can speak for the Hand Tool School and, and our Black Friday sale. We um we have not run out of stock yet. <laughs>
1: <So> <laughs> you know, I'm pretty
3: sure the the, the Wood Whisper Guild's the
1: same oh way? Oh yeah, we're fully so. stocked. Uh, there are so many videos on the shelf that, uh, frankly, our sale we extended it to Cyber Monday. So if anybody wants to go, you know, before our digital inventory runs out, you better get in there. Mine I runs love through that you're Tech Tuesday. With- Me. Duh.
2: Okay. I love that both your staffs are available 24-7. That's just awesome. You know, that's Please, just come the, crash
1: our sites. We're all for <laughs> it. It's just the kind of customer service we provide. All right,
2: <laughs> all right you knuckleheads. Well, let's move on to the next one here. Rick sent this in, and he said, I found this tutorial by Terry Gordon on making a tapered sliding dovetail. I thought your listeners might enjoy it as well, so I went over and I checked this out. Now, this is a full-on 20, 25 minutes long, and uh, Terry, has a, he's doing the whole entire thing, Uh, with uh, hand planes, and it's a really neat setup. I do have to admit, I did have moments where I'm like, wait a minute, you're angling what, and you're doing what? So if you have the time to kind of sit down, and I'm going to warn you, it looks to me like it's all in metric too, so don't let that throw you off. But there's some great information over there uh, if you want to check that out and see how to do sliding tapered dovetails uh, or tapered sliding dovetails uh, via hand planes.
3: Yeah, good video. We finally have a link to send all those people who are like, we're getting metric. We can just send them to this.
2: There you go. There's somebody doing it in metric. Come on,
1: relax. There you go.
2: Yeah, because he kept saying 60. I'm like, you're doing like five feet? Oh, wait, that's not very far.
1: Yeah, it's a very big cabinet. Five
2: feet of tapered dovetail.
1: (laughs) Right. That's awesome. (laughs) All right, let's move into our poll of the week from our good buddy Tom Ivino at tomsworkbench.com and last week uh, we were late in getting the poll up but uh, enough folks saw it and answered. The question actually, very relevant to what we were just talking about, are you going to be buying tools and accessories for woodworking uh, this past weekend on Black Friday and Cyber Monday? 35% said you bet I am. 29% said haven't given it much thought and 17% said no plans to buy tools this holiday season. Hmm. so that 35% they're the ones who crashed Rockler's website <laughs> exactly. yep. nice going guys of 4 million is what? Uh, And also this week's poll is a question about buying lumber online and I think as people become more and more aware of some of the great quality woods that are out there and figured woods and veneers it's a little bit harder to source these things locally uh, in all regions so it's great to know if online vendors are really worth it to to make those purchases and we recommend a few in that uh, article in fact uh, Belforest Products comes up and in the comments um, uh, who's the other guy's? They're an advertiser on our site and I can't remember their name. Uh,
2: Mitchell Fisher Fink? Uh,
1: No, but thank you you for delaying just long enough. CR Muterspaul also has a a great selection. So as it turns out, I mean, I already looked at some of the numbers, a lot of people are doing online ordering these days because they just can't find this stuff locally and in a lot of cases, if you do find it locally, sometimes the markup on it is so high that even with shipping, you're better off buying lumber from some of these online vendors. You know, I've it's had funny this conversation
3: so many times with people who call Hardwood to Go. That's, mm-hmm. that's our online retailer. Right. And it's like, well, I, I just drove around for six hours. It's like, why? It's like, well, I didn't want to pay <laughs> shipping. Like,
2: <laughs> right. But how much did you spend? I'm just going to let yeah. you think about what you just said. Yeah. and yeah. 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 Well, that, this is a conversation that's come up quite a bit. So I think in the in the past few episodes, I know I've, I've mentioned before in one way or another that, you know, I have a hard time finding lumber in this area if it's. And so people that are from this area suddenly I had this flood of emails. They're like, well, where do you get your lumber? Where, where do you, you know, go here? Where do you go there? And I'm always more or less it's because of that reason. I don't want to drive to the local place. I'm going to spend just as much money in gas and renting a truck and all this other stuff to get my stock here. I pay for them to deliver it. And then people get up in arms like, oh, but – You're not going to be able to select your boards. And I'm like, I know, but I tell them what I'm looking for. And so far, knock on wood, beautiful wood, that is. Mm -hmm. I've had really good luck with them sending me exactly what I'm looking for and have yet to have a problem with it. And it's so funny because, again, Muskegon is this area where we – the whole town was based, uh, built basically on the back of lumber. We have lumber barons are like the namesake – not the namesake for the area, but well, everything around here is named after the lumber barons. But to find a place other than like the big home center – the big box centers for the wood, it's nearly impossible. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of recommendations for Craigslist, but I'm like, that's so hit and miss sometimes.
1: You know, not to like yeah. take us totally off course here, mm-hmm. but I hear an airplane and I don't think it's coming from my house. Mm. It sounds like an airplane in somebody's background.
2: It might be my refrigerator.
1: Okay. Well, maybe I'm just hearing things, (laughs) uh, which has another whole. uh,
2: Oh, you know what it was? Is Again, since I'm in the unusual spot, the garbage man just came by and picked up. There you go. uh, And so that's probably what you heard. Okay.
1: Sounded like an airplane. Anyway. I think you're having nostalgic. Like you wish you had (laughs) it. I wish there were airplanes so sort of going over. <laughs> give give it time, man. Give it, over your house or whatever. give it time. The Air Force is relentless over here. Uh, all right, let's go into a quick review. And this is something that I, did, I didn't Normally, we try to review things with all three of us, but uh, I ordered this months ago when it was first announced for pre-order, and it finally came in, and I just wanted to say a few words about it. It's the Fine Woodworking Archive DVD, 1975 to 2014. And that's a lot of time. That's a lot of time. And that's a lot of magazines. So every issue of the magazine since its inception in 75, all the way through the most recent issues in 2014, uh, that's an amazing collection. And it's all on one DVD. And I was like, you know, I'm an online member, so it's quick and easy to search for things right there. But there are just some times where I want some sort of offline resource when I'm doing research and and you don't have to wait for load times. Uh, I want to be able to find something. I'm like, oh, I can't remember that article. Let Let me look through a database. And I don't want just a collection of PDFs. I want something that actually is a search interface that is hopefully a functional one that works well. So I picked this up. And that's exactly what it is. It's a DVD-ROM. This is not a DVD that you put in a player and it is not a collection of PDFs. It's actually a program called the uh, Taunton Fine Woodworking Archive and you go into it and you could search by a number of different criteria. You can narrow down your search, you could expand it, very general searches, and you have this really nice interface for seeing each issue and when you do a search, it actually shows you a quick thumbnail of the article itself. So you can kind of see, I'm looking for console tables. And you'll find things from the readers' gallery. Uh, you could search the entire text of articles or just titles and keywords for articles. So you could really expand or you know sort of compress your searches as needed. So for me, for sixty nine bucks, I think it's on sale right now. And what a great deal! And when you look at how much knowledge is packed into that magazine since since the beginning, and you got it all in like just a couple of keystrokes away, is pretty amazing stuff for sixty nine bucks. I'll I'll take it any day That's of the cool. week. Yeah. So highly recommended. I know some people want the actual issues. They want the PDFs and this might not appeal to them cuz they like that sense of like I don't know kind of like when I collect digital comics I really like to have my file somewhere <laughs> and not just have it in a third party reader um but I don't know this this search is really good it works for me I think this is going to be a really really handy thing to to have around so I'll put the link there in the show notes is, if you're interested is there a function to like print out an article I haven't looked at that that's a good question someone asked that on Facebook and since we're I have
3: right. I have the same thing from Wood magazine uh-huh. um and it it sounds like the fine woodworking one's probably a little bit slicker.
1: Yeah.
3: Um. I do mean that in a good way. Slicker. Um. But it it is it is very cool just to have the index and the search function to go through. I don't. I can't remember the years on this, but it goes back a long way to the point where it's like, you know, wow, <laughs> you could really see what was going on in the eighties and mm-hmm. how yeah. the woodworking differed back then. Yeah. But that's uh that's cool. I have to check that out.
1: Yeah, you know what? I'll go take a look while you guys are doing the kickback. I'll see if I could find out if it prints. So let's move right into the kickback. And uh, and for the record, I don't think
3: it's actually that long of an amount of time considering I was born in 75 and I don't think I'm that old. No, 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 Shannon.
1: It's really long. It's really old. It's not old. It's not that old. That's like several generations old. That's It almost came with
2: microfiche.
1: That's (laughs) That's how old it is. It (laughs) it was in black and white, in fact, the early issues. So, you know... You're kind of old. It was was handwritten by monks. (laughs) 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 Perfect. Uh, Matt. (laughs) All right. Let's
2: go into the kickback then. This first one comes in from Alexander. And Alexander says a little more information about metal fasteners in wood, such as the bed bolts you discussed in Wood Talk 206. Wood is in many ways a a polymer, made mostly of cellulose and some crap from a chemical perspective. And polymers often have what is called stress relaxation. Now, when you apply a strain, a strain onto a polymer. I had to double check that to make sure. That we, so what if you apply a stain? But when you apply a strain onto a polymer and other materials, a certain stress must also be applied. With time and depending on the properties of the material, the stress between the two objects goes down. This phenomenon is essentially the opposite of creep. Creep is applying a constant stress on a material, and the strain goes up with time. Imagine applying a weight on a spring. With time, the spring will stretch longer. Going back to stress relaxation in wood, when you torque a screw or a bolt into wood, the stress between the treads and the wood goes down. Now this stress is what keeps uh, the joint tight in the case of a bed bolt as the stress goes down, racking increases, and this is why you have to re re-torque your bolts or screws after some time. As a disclaimer, I studied in chemical engineering and took several materials classes. They were my favorite. I now work in the aeronautical environment, and I hope this explains what we've all experienced in one way or another. So uh, thank you, uh, Alexander. I now feel like I should be taking an exam shortly afterwards so I can fill out all that information and make sure I retained it properly. And as what this really pertained to was in 206, where it was the discussion about uh, attaching the bed rails to uh, a bed post. Uh, And we were talking about how like, we prefer to use a a bolt of some sort versus just like I think it was a loose tenon that the uh, listener had written in about. And then actually, just as a side note, it turned out that um, he actually gave us the wrong information, not Alexander, but the original emailer. So that was kind of fun. And he was a little embarrassed. But we were like, yeah, we nailed it just the right way as far as I'm concerned.
3: Yeah, his problem was much simpler than what we made it out to be.
2: Yeah, exactly, because when he wrote in, so we're like, oh, probably in that case, fault. yeah, don't worry about that.
3: <laughs> I'm back. And, oh, and I think Alexander's disclaimer, um, it also uh, helps us explain
2: <laughs> his The email. whole polymer thing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah.
3: Took materials classes and they were his favorite. Yes, now your email makes a lot more sense.
2: <laughs> nice. Right, that's okay, he probably just Googled it.
3: Cool. Yeah. Um, Shannon, you want to go in and I'll give you the,
1: uh, the sure. answer.
3: Um, last episode, I uh, threw a call out for some feedback on the whole restore a plane or buy a new thing. And uh, we got a lot of feedback. So I want to say thank you uh, to a lot of you. Uh, specifically, Robert, AJ, Stein, Keith, Matt, Bo, Rick, and Eric. Bo and Rick are two different. Not Bo, Rick. Bo Rick. and Rick. <laughs> That's a cool name. Bo, Rick. Um, there is uh, a lot of good comments on the the actual post page on woodtalkshow.com, uh, which, by the way, if you didn't know, that's where these episodes get posted, and there are comments there, often funny ones. And um, the 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 general consensus, I got numbers from $20 to buy a plane up to $100 to buy a plane, though most of them were around $50 and above, and the consensus was if it was under $50, be, be a little suspect of that or expect to have to put a lot of work into it. So um, the... A hand plane restoration DVD by Christopher Schwartz was mentioned a couple times is a very, very useful resource. Lots of information online, but the idea that being able to see actual in video was a lot more helpful. Um, I think uh, I agree with that as a purveyor and producer of video content. I think that's useful. Um, I can also mention that Rob Cosman has a video as well that I've seen, and I found that quite helpful too. Everyone who commented admitted that they have gotten junk from time to time, and you have to be a little careful about what you, uh, what who you're buying from, what to look for. But all of them said, with a little work, they were able to fix it and get it working. On the whole, I think this is very much a divided issue, and it falls on really what you like to do. Do you like to restore planes, or you just want to get on to working with a project? Everyone, however, did agree that buying a new plane gives you a really good frame of reference mm-hmm. to to know what a good plane should be like. As long as everyone realizes that even the the bestest of best, most primoest of planes does need a little honing out of the box. There is no such thing as out of the box, um, ready to go. Right. So
1: Cool. Hey, uh, you know, have you guys seen that woodworking classic by Matt Vandralis, Banana Souls and You?
2: Um, I'm very familiar with it. In fact, I'm going to try and not do a remake of it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's I have a, an autographed copy. It's my favorite restoration video. Yeah. All right, cool. Let's move into our voicemail. And wait a minute, what'd you find out about the archive? Oh yeah, thanks for the reminder. Um, well I've been waiting, I didn't actually print it because uh, I didn't want to make a lot of noise in the office here, but uh, there is a print function on the display. So there is some kind of a print. I don't know what, like what it looks like when it prints. There's also in the print option, something that says like save as PDF, which I know on my Mac is just kind of a function of the, the print tool. You could save something as a PDF. I don't know that that works though. So if you want to actually save the article or save the entire issue as a PDF, I don't know that that's actually functioning the way it normally might because there might be some sort of copy protection blocking that from happening. But I'll investigate more and give a little bit more detailed review of this next week. Wait. I should have come a little more prepared. But again, we're recording early and I didn't have time to do what yeah, I wanted to do. we would
2: give you an extra half
3: hour.
1: <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, the wood
3: magazine archive, it
1: comes in a little
3: wood encased jump drive. So it's very... Very fancy looking, although it is a little sad when you think of the entire history of a magazine fits on a little thumb drive. Well, that's that's what got to me about this,
1: and a lot of people were like when I posted on a Facebook. There were a couple couple of things like, "Oh, that's pretty expensive." I'm like, "This is an entire you know publishing company's effort since before I was born, all in one <laughs> DVD. Like that's kind of worth a lot of money, and it, it's a little, I guess maybe." It's a big company, who cares you know but if 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 I were the owner of said company, it would actually be a little bit depressing to think of my life 's work since nineteen seventy five comes 69, down to sixty nine dollars <laughs> you know and it, that's that's not you know that's just the way the market works, so it, it is what it is, but you got to appreciate just how much knowledge and information from woodworkers that made this industry what it is and that gave us the inspiration to do this goofy show that we do is all in that for seventy bucks you know it's kind of crazy. <laughs> Oh man. All right. Let's move into the voicemail. Got one here from Gerard. And uh, it's about cutting boards.
0: Hey guys, this is Gerard calling from Bowie, Maryland. Um new fan of the show, really enjoy it. Uh I came across Wood Talk and Wood Whisperer by way of Mark's wonderful um butcher's block, How to, or um in grain cutting board. I put together uh four of these for Christmas, and then was tasked to put together one for my wife as well, um, last. Uh, My question is about the finishes. I put on salad bowl finish, um, per Mark's instructions, except that I did not thin the finish. Um, I had some forum folks advise me that wasn't necessarily required, so I have two wiped-on coats of salad bowl finish after the whole thing was sanded to 220 grit. And uh, looked great, gave it three days to cure before we used it. Um, my wife has now been used for about two weeks, and it is pretty blotchy on both sides. I can see what looks like, I don't know if I want to call them stains, but there are definitely blotches, particularly on the side that we use for meat. Uh, so I'm wondering at this point, is it not sealed enough? Should I apply another code? Do I need to thin it out to penetrate more? Or does it just need a little mineral oil? Um, to really penetrate that. It's particularly pertinent because I have four more of these that are supposed to go out for Christmas, um, and those also have two wiped-on coats of salad bowl finish, so if I need to finish them differently, I'm sure my mother-in-law would appreciate hers um, looking nice even after a week or two of use. Feel free to also tell me if I am just worrying too much about this. Thanks, guys. All you right. know, before we go anywhere,
2: I think I want to point out that at this point, I believe uh, Gerard has made more of those than Mark has.
1: That's true. <laughs> That's true. I have only made three of those cutting boards. You need to get caught up then. I do. I do. Um, all right. Thanks for that, Gerard. And I think the last couple of seconds of your voicemail really summarizes what I want you to get out of this. And that it, you, you have a tendency as furniture makers, people who build fine furniture, when we make cutting boards, we overthink it. We overthink their purpose. We overthink their visual impact. Like yeah, it's nice to have a cool looking cutting cutting board, but this is not a tabletop. This is not the, you know, sort of a cabinet side. This is not something that we need to shoot for perfection. And when it starts to look bad, we react to. Um, and it's very hard for us to separate that side of our brain that says, yeah, the things have to be perfect. This is a work surface. Think of it more like a workbench. If your workbench had a little blotch to it, would you care? You know, if you got a chisel mark in it, like that's what it's there for, right? So the same thing with a cutting board, only this is a daily use kitchen item that's going to get used and abused with knives and all types of of cutting implements and food goo and stuff that's going to get on it. Um, don't don't think about it too much. You know, you certainly want it to be sealed to your liking and start off looking good, but it's supposed to look like crap. It's a cutting board. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you know, well, you, think
2: about it. if you visited a butcher shop. Do they look like all of their tables that they're working off of are immaculate? I mean, that's it's a working t- table. I'm sure they come in and and take care of it here and there, but it's probably like not one of those things. Like, oh darn it, George, <laughs> oh, you have got man. something on the butcher block. Yeah, get the wax out.
1: Um, ah. So yeah, it's just one of those things where it's a work surface. So set that as your frame of mind when you go into this and it will sort of help you decide what to do from here on out. Um, Generally speaking, is it sealed enough? Well, you know, some people just put the mineral oil and wax on there and that's perfectly fine. It'll still absorb things, but you need to kind of take up spills and stuff like that. Don't leave it on there for an extended amount of time because it still will absorb. Now the method he used to finish it is the one that I like to use and involves the use of a little bit of varnish and I do recommend diluting it. He said he got some advice on a forum which you know is always the best place to get information. And yeah and they said to keep it undiluted my problem with that, the reason why I dilute it is because I want that stuff to really soak in deep so it 's a little bit more consistently sealed throughout so if you put on that two or three coats you 're not going to build a film, but you will get a little bit of finish that will really impede and slow down the absorption of liquids and that 's kind of my goal with that methodology so i don 't know for sure whether it 's sealed enough. I would put a little bit of water on top of it if it starts to absorb within you know thirty seconds forty seconds it 's probably you know it could deal with it could have a little bit more sealing. On there, I would not add at this point until you get all this work down I would not add mineral oil because that's going to limit what you can do with it after that. If there's mineral oil on there you can't put your varnish on there again. It just won't work because the mineral oil is still going to be uh, liquid and wet because it's never going to cure. So uh, ultimately I just think you sort of just put it in the right frame of mind I wouldn't really chase this too much see if it's not sealed enough if it's not go ahead and add a little bit more finish but again we're not building a film we're not doing a tabletop here you're just kind of getting the board so it doesn't absorb every little bit of juice that's put on it Uh, and I think that should take care of you. Um, and also, you know, consider just the mineral oil and wax finish, which a lot of people really like uh, just because it's very easy to refresh. Um, and some people are concerned about the use of varnish on a board. I'm not, I like it, but look into it. Make, make the decision that's right for you. And that's, uh, that's it. Oh, the other thing, we had a voicemail from Rudy. And Rudy, great voicemail in terms of information. He had more to say about uh, restoration of planes, which was cool. Problem is, Rudy, it was a five minute phone call and that's a long voicemail. So uh, at the end of his voicemail, like the second half of it, was a great bit of information about his strategy for how he buys planes from eBay in terms of like what to look for from the seller, what to look for in the plane itself. Great information. So if you're listening, Rudy, if you could write that down, and then call the voicemail line and just read it and get it done within like 40 seconds to a minute. That would be awesome because I really want to play it on the show. But at five minutes, I just can't do it. Um, and,
2: and nobody should take <clears throat> offense to the fact that we're asking for shorter email uh, voicemails. I call Mark all the time and he's like, dude, you got 30 seconds. Otherwise, email me.
1: <laughs> Keep, <laughs> come on. Come on. Tone it down just a little bit, Matt. Well, now's a good time to talk about one of our sponsors, audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of audiobooks with more than 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. You guys know that the three of us frequently listen to audiobooks while working in the shop, and right now I'm listening to the Live Ship Traders trilogy. I mentioned this one before, but I'm on book two now. This is by Robin Hobb, and uh, spoiler alert, the ships are alive. Now, Matt's reading The Wool Trilogy by Hugh Howey, Matt says, "At first, I was skeptical. I'd even make it past the first few minutes, and worried that I just wasted a credit on an impulse buy. But five hours later, I was so wrapped up in the world of the of Silo, the okay, the Silo, jeez, and its main character Juliet, I knew I was hooked and couldn't wait to hit play again. And Shannon has a recommendation. It's called Levi- Leviathan Wakes. We're getting really good at this uh, by James Corey." He says, awesome, hard sci-fi, and the first of a long series, so it'll keep you busy for a long time. Now, Audible wants you to try out their service for free. To download any of our recommendations or one of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash woodtalk. That's audiblepodcast.com slash woodtalk. All right, I think we can move on to email now. All right. Okay, we got one here. Uh, This one's from Jeffrey. He says, would any of you have any advice regarding spraying General Finishes water-based dye with an Erlex 5500 and a one and a half millimeter tip? I'm completely new to this and want to enter into it armed with as much good information as possible. Uh, well, good news, Jeffrey. That's a very easy thing to do. It's a very, I find to be a very user-friendly kind of process. When you're using water-based dye, uh, you 've got time to work with it if you 're spraying it on the surface if you 're applying it with a brush or you know some sort of applicator pad uh, you you might have a situation where there's streaks because you 're working slower and each line kind of overlaps with the other one and it, it could be problematic but when you 're spraying, you kind of just douse. The surface so my strategy is to wet the whole surface as quickly as possible just make sure uh, the the workpiece is up on you know something that's a little bit easier to reach put it on a tabletop or something uh, and if you have one of those lazy susan type turnstile deals that's even better because you can move really fast that way um, and what i like to do is just give it a good soaking. The one and a half millimeter tip is fine. You can go with a finer tip if you wanted to. But um, you're pro- the, the reason why I say any tip it will do in this case is because I'm going to go back with a rag and a clean <coughs> excuse me a clean cotton rag and just wipe the excess off, all the drips, all the extra dye. Let the wood take up what it's going to take up, and then wipe the extra stuff away. And it's such a simple way to get a nice even coat of dye on the surface. You just yeah, you still have to move at a brisk pace. Uh, but it isn't like spraying lacquer or something that's gonna dry super fast. So that's that's my favorite way to do it. Just soak the project and then come back with a, a clean cotton rag, wipe up the excess, let it dry, and I think you're gonna be thrilled with the results. Doesn't have to be any more difficult than that. You know, I've done the same thing,
3: just using like a spray bottle. <laughs> right. From the store. Yeah. Um it works. You, yeah. I mean you just you just soak it. And then wipe it off. Yep. So I haven't done it in my Erlex because I've been like, I don't want to get it dirty.
1: <laughs> it does dirty <laughs> things, that's for sure. I'm yep. holding
2: on mine. It's going to be a collector's edition eventually. There
1: you go. And, uh, you know, put something on the ground too because that overspray from the dye will go everywhere. So unless you want your, your uh, floor or concrete died if you're spraying outside. <laughs> yeah, you might I, want to I have you.
3: several pretty outline parts in the shape of uh, Barnes lathe parts on the floor <laughs> of my shop right now.
1: When I when I moved out of my old shop, uh, I moved some of the floor pads around and saw some of the damage. <laughs> Let's call it decorating that I did to the concrete floor in there for things just like that. Nice. <laughs> cool.
2: Nice. All right, Matt, you're up. Sweet. All right, well, this question came in from Scott and Scott says, I'm planning on making a rolling tool chest with several drawers in it and was wondering if there's an advantage to making the carcass or the drawers first. Now, I'm fairly new to woodworking, and I'm just looking for some guidance. Now, Scott, I know Mark uh, replied first, and I shot one right in there going, I agree with Mark, so I'm going to steal this answer and make it sound like <laughs> I'm the hero. <laughs> there here. you go. But really, when it comes down to it, I, I think Mark and I do things very similar in the sense that we really like the idea of like relative dimensioning. I have yet to ever have a project where I start out with a hard Really good set of plans or you know something I can really work off of and have it work out perfectly so whenever I have attempted to create my drawers, especially inset drawers ahead of time, it's just going to be a horrible situation because it's always going to end up me having to come back in and readjust them. So in most situations, I will create the carcass first and then I'll figure out the dimensions for the drawers. Because again, no matter how well established the plans are, it always seems like somewhere along the line, something gets tweaked just a little bit. And that tweaking can be something that's like literally, just fractions of an inch but it will completely mess you up at one point at least in my own experience this is this is something i've dealt with quite a bit so i really really prefer anytime dealing with drawers or doors anything that needs to be kind of set in there afterwards uh, i definitely like to do those I'll, i'll create them maybe a little bit oversized or something if it's possible and then bring them down to that final dimension but i definitely prefer to stay away from building them whole hog first and then building something around them. Cool.
3: You know, the, I normally, how I should say, normally this is exactly the same way I do it. I'm going to do the drawers later. What I found recently though, is I'm building like a multi drawer, like a vert- in a vertical um, orientation. I'm building like a chest of drawers or something like that. I won't necessarily build the drawer, but I'll mill the stock for the sides and then I use the sides to lay out the location of the dados for the drawer runners mm-hmm. because you just you set it in there, use it as a fence, and you knife it out with your uh, drawer side. Then I cut the dado, put in the uh, drawer runner, take my next drawer side, put it, just lay it in place, and knife around it. It makes a really um, great, easy way not only of getting your, um, your dado lines in place but making sure they're even on both sides of the case. So it's, it's not really – building the drawer but I'm milling the drawer parts and then I can use that to help lay out the data well,
1: honestly I think you could someone maybe us maybe we can't but someone could certainly make an argument for either method there's a lot of different ways you can do it and it sort of put your your mind into that mindset and go through the process and you could make it happen you know, so I think there's a lot of personal preference here. I just happen, I'm like like Matt. I happen to build the carcass first, um, but I can see justifications. I, I remember, oh, I don't even remember what the article was. It might have been a fine woodworking article. Wait, uh, I wonder if you have a uh, maybe an index where you could go look that up. You know, if I did, I would totally search for that. But I don't. So, oh. um, you know, and I think there was an article talking about that someone in particular likes to do drawers first and doors first and then sizing the case around those things. Um, and that was a simpler thing for him and it just worked for them. So uh, definitely justification for both sides of the coin there.
2: Right. There's there's no wrong way to do it, but mine's better. <laughs> That's true. I
1: agree. That's I agree.
2: True. All right. This last email comes from
3: John. He says, how do I, quote, see the grain when it's in a stack of lumber at the yard? How do I match color? How do I identify good boards? Do I tip the guys so they hate life less? Do you bring tools like a block plane, uh, et cetera, to shave away some of the material so you can see what is underneath? Do you chalk out project parts on the rough lumber at the yard, or do you just buy your project requirement plus 25% board foot and figure it out at home? First of all, that is way too many questions, John, so we will be sending you a bill. Um, this, I, I grab this because I answer this question 10 to 12 times a day. It's one of these things where the, the simple answer is be prepared. Um, if you go to the lumber yard, not exactly knowing what you need to get for your project, you're not going to have a good experience. You're going to end up with lumber that is maybe not color matched proper properly, or you, you're just, you're, you're going to get overwhelmed. You go to any lumber yard and there's a lot of lumber there and you go, Oh my God, what do I do? You can't see the forest through the lumber. Um, So having a parts list, not necessarily a cut list, but at least a parts list that tells you the tabletop is X by X um, and and knowing kind of a plan A and a plan B. I've I've written blog posts on this. I I talk about this all the time, but say uh, the the console table I'm building now, the top is 20 inches wide and its um, I think it's like 60 inches long. You know, in a perfect world, they'd be able to get this single wide board to make the top and it would be beautiful. You know, we would call that plan A or maybe the wishful plan. Mm-hmm. The more likely case would be I'm going to have to glue it up from several boards. Well, could I do it from two 10-inch wide boards? Well, that would be more preferable over, say, three, you know, s- what, seven-inch wide boards. So I would go to the lumberyard with my plan A being let me see if I can get two 10-inch wide boards. And I'd write that down. Two 10-inch wide boards that are at least 60 inches long, and they've got to be whatever the thickness is. And then kind of a little asterisk below that, if I can't find that, some 7-inch boards would be fine. But 6-inch boards won't be enough. So I I know in the back of my head, this is what the constraints I'm working in. I also know that anything that I'm going to be gluing up into one panel, I should really focus on color match. So I'll make a little note, or I'll just know these parts really have to be the same color. Um, so that's the first thing, really knowing what you're going to go and get. So then once you get there, <clears throat> A, no, I don't bring a block plane. I've I've heard that espoused by a lot of different people. Um, I don't know many lumber yards that are really happy with you showing up with a plane and, and planing <laughs> stuff, unless you're already planning on buying that board. Um, that's
2: kind of a different story. Oops. Sorry, guys.
3: Hello.
1: Hi, honey. I'm doing a podcast. Can you call me back? Uh, it's no, that, I'm it's sorry. That, I
2: can't sell the Boobingo right now.
1: <laughs> it's
3: that new thing in Yosemite where it actually rings on your desktop. Yeah, it
2: rings everywhere.
3: My phone oh. is on vibrate, but it started ringing on my desktop. That's Dude, annoying. there are times
1: where I'm on the computer and my phone and my iPad are there, too. It's <laughs> like, it's, it's over. It's just overlooked. each other. Oh, my God. It's <laughs> Shut terrible. Shut
3: up. <laughs> um, anyway, now, I, unless you have already bought the board you're not taking anything to it that's going to alter that surface. Now, you can always ask, <clears throat> but I, frankly, the board, the grain, the color, and all that stuff, you know, can change from one side of the board to the other. So me just block planing off a little section may not help me all that much. What I do in order to get a feel for the grain is, first of all, I look at the end grain. And you can tell by looking at the end grain, is this a quarter board, a riff sawn board, or a flat board? You also can see the the distance, the, the uh, density of those growth rings. So uh, is it going to be a really fine grain board? Is going to be a really wide grain board? It gives you an idea of how it's going to work. And then I pull the board down knowing already if it's rift corded or whatever. And the best thing I can use to describe this, do you guys remember those magic eye, like 3d um, posters they used to have out in the nineties, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. or you would see this 3d image that would come out the, the best way I know to do that was to kind of look at it and then let your eyes go out of focus a little bit. And then it was like the image would just come to, come to light. It's kind of the same thing that goes on with rough lumber. The problem with rough lumber is it's this really rough, fuzzy surface and it catches the light and you put shadows in certain places and you kind of can't see the grain that's underneath it. If you... Look at the board and, like I said, kind of look past that fuzzy outer exterior. You can see the grain under there. Some species are going to be easier than others where you can see that those darker early or, excuse me, late growth lines in contrast to the lighter early growth lines. Douglas fir comes to mind as really a strong uh, difference between those. But you can see the same thing in, in maple. But it's just a matter of kind of seeing past that, that outer layer. Looking at it from a couple of different angles, let the light strike it in a couple of different angles. Some angles you'll see it a lot better because the light is, is being sh- shaded by that fuzzy stuff. So pull the board out and look at it from a couple of different angles and you'll be able to see the grain from one angle over another. But ultimately, there's only so much you can do when it's rough sawn, right? So you, you can look at color, unless the board is really, really dirty, and if you go to a lumberyard where the wood is really dirty, and that happens, we have a lot of our lumber stored outside. It gets dusty. There's nothing. Instead of bringing the block plane, bring like a, a stiff bristle brush, and you can brush off a lot of that stuff. Or bring a, a little spray bottle and a rag, and you can wet it, and you can get a really good feel the color i'm not suggesting douse the entire stack of lumber but again you're you're this is kind of a a winnowing process you've picked out a board you think this is what you're going to do it's got the dimensions you think it's got the grain you want then you spray a little water on it and wipe it down and you'll be able to see a lot of the color there but ultimately you need to buy you need to 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 round down i think You know, if you're thinking, okay, I can get this one board or get me the parts for my top and there'll be a little bit left over, so maybe I can get the apron parts out of that for the table. Don't do that. Go and buy another board for the apron. Don't assume that you can get something from the leftover parts. Your best bet is to just add another board to the stack. Um, Yes, it's more expensive, but unless you are planning on giving up woodworking after you finish this project, you will find a use for that lumber. So I've never gone off of add 10%, add 20%, add 25% because I think it varies depending on what you're building. Uh, on a commercial project, the overage could be 60%. You know, On a single piece of furniture, it could be 5%. Um, I just, I round up on the boards I buy and I round down on, on all the sizes that I need. It's the only way that you can come up with with enough lumber left over. I don't chalk out while I'm there at the the lumberyard, unless I have to actually cut something down and fit it in the car, in which case having my parts list being prepared helps me know I should cut this to 40 inches and not 39 because then I'll end up with a cutoff that will basically just be trash instead of something I can use elsewhere. So when you get back to the shop and you start laying out your parts, then um, if there are deficiencies or whatever, at least you know where they are and you can go and get more. But um, no, I think the minute you try to do it at the lumber yard, you get rushed, you know, maybe you're in the way you make snap decisions and you end up with stuff that that's just not going to work for you. So, you
1: know, you know, and I could tell you from as many times as I've been to the lumber yard to get particular boards for a specific project there's still a lot of guesswork to it. You know, there's a little bit of instinct, you can read some of the grain, you can get good, you know, at certain species, it's a little easier to see than others. And depending on your vendor, you know, the boards might be in more rough shape than somewhere else. But ultimately, there's always a lot of guesswork, and it's just it's a natural material. So even what you see at the surface may not indicate what's a quarter inch below that surface. Um, there's always a degree of guesswork, and I don't think any of us ever go there and get exactly what we need, exactly the amount we need with the look we're going for. You have to kind of roll with the punches with something right. like this.
3: And I think matching color, it's a losing battle. Um, I've actually just written a couple of blog posts that, um, at that McElvain Lumber Company about this, because Color of wood is changing all the time. Um, Whether it's interior or exterior woods, there's a lot of stuff going on from bleaching to get that gray color outside to actual chemical reactions in the wood that change the color. Mm. And in a lot of instances, the wood ends up kind of matching over time. It kind of mellows and it comes into the same kind of hue. But the other thing you can do to match color is use as few boards as possible. You know, if you know that I've got to make this top, we'll try to get that top out of a single board. If that means buying a longer board or a wider board, you do it. Um, that's, That's the surefire way, in my opinion, of getting a good color match. Build it out of one board. That can get a little expensive <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. But you know, you're right. If you, it, it, you have to look at, for me, it's a matter of finding the premium parts of the project, the things that right. are most visible, most important visually. And those are the ones that I say, all right, I'm going to baby this one. If I have to buy an extra board just to make sure this is perfect, good. Everything else can kind of be a secondary concern. So you have to prioritize your parts. And that can also, you know, set your, your, your brain in the right space when you go to actually buy the lumber.
3: Yeah. I, I I just finished this bed, which I promise I'll be posting relatively shortly, but I ran, I had to use 12 quarter for the pencil posts, which is really expensive. And I was hesitant to just throw another board, you know, on there cause they're 300 bucks a piece almost. And, um, there were a couple of spots where I knew the knots would be in the way and I could have cut up another board to get around that and be certain. But I, you know, I said, I think I'll be okay because ultimately this bed's going against a wall mm-hmm. and, you know, one of the things about a frame bed, when you put the mattress in place, you can't actually see much of the frame anymore. You know, you can see the, the foot of the bed and the side. You can only see one side and the foot of the bed at any time. Unless your eyes are really widely spaced in your head, then you have problems. <laughs> yeah, if um, a fish, it's a so problem. So color match actually wasn't that big of a deal. Um, I just had to color match like each side individually and any knots or little defects that came into contact with it was a matter of just shifting it on the piece so that I know it goes against the wall or it's on the inside of a rail or something like that. So right. you can get away with a lot with grain and color matching, even picking lumber
1: blindfolded. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Alright, well if you want to support the show keep this thing going you can do so just go to woodtalkshow.com look on the left hand side and you'll see some donation links uh, and we always appreciate that kind of support uh, you can also buy a Wood Talk t-shirt at twwstore.com and if you're listening today I believe we extended the sale there as well so 15% off for Cyber Monday if you want to go get a nice Wood Talk t-shirt that's how you can do it You can also leave us an iTunes review. Just go to the iTunes store, click on ratings and reviews, and if you can, give us that five-star rating. Just like OK Plowboy, not not Cowboy Plowboy. I thought that was a mistake. Woo! Yeah, glad you said something about that. Okay, I guess Oklahoma Plowboy, or yeah, all right. Either way, great. He's a great podcast. I also, I'm sorry, I always learn something new, Uh, but yet it's still entertaining enough to keep me awake on my long commutes. The funny thing is, I've heard feedback that's the opposite of that. Yeah I've I've definitely Heard from sleep clinics In fact I had had
2: my sleep study They're like We were going to now Use uh, a new technique
1: (laughs) Called the wood talk technique We've got an episode Of wood talk Running into your headphones It should lull you to sleep Uh, He says thank you Mark, Matt, and Shannon For all you do May the chortles be with you And uh, also with you Okay Plowboy
2: Yes definitely Definitely with you
1: All right, and Matt How about you give him The contact info And we'll get out of here
2: All right. Hey, folks, do you have a comment, a question, or maybe a topic suggestion? There's several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is WoodTalkOnline. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180 email us at at woodtalkshow.com. I hope everybody got that. That's the new email, woodtalkshow.com or leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com. Now, actually, maybe if you're listening to this like way in the future and you're binging on these, that new email address new to us today may actually be the old one.
1: Yeah, it could be. You never know. We change our mind a lot, so... That time is so hard to wrap your mind, around. <laughs> <wrong. laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. See you, okay. sure. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. This podcast is part
0: of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio programs so good, it's like you're there. <laughs>